It's literally everywhere. What do you think is the impact of single-use plastic on our health or our economy? I would probably try to explore it on both sides. So to say, we use plastic for a reason, probably, the way we use it. Can we live in a world where packaging is different, for example? Or if we would take plastic out of our existence suddenly now, what would be the benefit of it? I'll just start this with a story, right? Mm -hmm. So single-use plastic is really convenience. Okay. So a lot of this has to do with how convenient we want to make our lives, right? So if you are drinking from a plastic water bottle and you can throw it in the dustbin, right? You don't need to carry it along. You're somewhere in the city or you're on a train, you can throw it in the dustbin. That is convenience, right? That is where single-use plastic comes in, right? Similarly, with any food shopping that you're going, go to a supermarket, there are single-use plastic bags. Right now, they're calling it multi-use plastic bags and they're charging money for it. But that's a different story altogether. And I'll come to it later. But if you did, that is actually convenience, right? For you to, I don't want to carry shopping bags when I'm going shopping. I don't want to carry a water bottle or maybe my own drink bottle or something when I'm going. I don't want to refill it over there. And for that reason, we're using single-use plastic, right? And this single-use plastic is in, I would say, beverage packaging. It is in the supermarket bags. It is in a lot of food packaging. A lot of the single-use plastic is actually tied to the retail industry and the hospitality industry, right? These two are the biggest consumers of these single-use plastics. And again, when I say a story, so this happened last week. Me and my son were in Morrison's, we were shopping, and we had some three bags with us, but we still needed maybe two more bags. My son went and brought two bags. I scanned the first bag. Apparently, this single-use plastic, which is now called bag for life, costs 60p. It used to be 10p earlier. It now costs 60p. Now I'm thinking... Do I really need two more bags? Actually, I need bags to carry literally nothing, right? Because I've got a shopping trolley. I can put all the items that I've scanned. I can put it in the the shopping trolley. I have a car, so I can go Mm -hmm. all the way to the car and I can put it in the boot. So this Mm -hmm. is convenient, isn't it? For you to just lift one bag and put it in the boot versus you're taking 10 different things from the trolley and putting it in the boot. That's the difference, right? So these things <clears throat> become part of our life, right? We, we become used to it. And that is the reason why it is very difficult to wean off these habits. And that is where the problem comes. It's a multifaceted problem in the sense that it is not just a case of implementing a law saying that we will ban the use of single-use plastic. We've done that in, in the state of Tamil Nadu in India, right? Mm-hmm. They've banned the use of single-use plastic for all purposes. So what are the alternatives here? A lot of the beverage packaging has gone into glass or aluminum. Okay. They are also using paper cups where they are serving drinks and whatever they're using paper cups. 
people have started carrying a metal water bottle or maybe a glass water bottle with them or even a plastic water bottle that can be washed and reused and they use that. And in many of the supermarkets, they sell you either a cloth bag or they also have paper bags. So you can buy that and you can reuse it any number of times. Obviously, the, the jute bags or the, the cloth bags are more expensive, right? They are not going to be the same price as a, a plastic bag that you bought earlier. Right now, it's going to be more expensive. So you're more motivated to bring your own bag, right? Yeah. So the, these are possible. It is possible to change the behavior, but it is multifaceted, right? Bringing in a law is definitely one part of it. Mm-hmm. Changing consumer behavior is another part of it. That I would say is part of the environment in which business operates, right? But there are other aspects like, first of all, looking at what is the need for packaging? If it is beverage that you are serving, can you serve this in a recyclable plastic or recyclable container, which could be aluminium, or it could be the what do you call it the Tetra Pack. Uh, that's actually the name of a company, but it's basically a, a packaging material which can be recycled. Right? It has plastic coated on top of it, but it is recyclable. Right? We've also seen again in, in places, various remote locations also in Tamil Nadu, where we ordered coffee on the go, and we wanted it to be delivered to our car. Basically mm-hmm. a takeaway sort of a thing, but when you order on the app and then they will come and deliver it to you. So it was a cardboard container that big. It retains the heat. Mm-hmm. It's, got a, it's got a small cap at the top. You open that and then it's got a metal cap on the top. You open that and then you can pour the coffee into paper cups that they've given you. Can you avoid it? Doable, right? Can you bring in other ones? Doable. Or if you still say that I want to use plastic as part of my single-use packaging, then maybe change the feedstock. Mm-hmm. Meaning change the raw material that is used to make that packaging. Right? An example of that is seaweed-based plastic. Right? One of the partners on Helix. There's actually a company that produces seaweed-based single-use plastic. And instead of taking 400 years to disintegrate in the soil, your plastic bottle will disintegrate in two and a half years. Oh, wow. And it can also be reused. It can be reused by the circularity that is available. It can be recycled. And if you still drop it in a landfill, it will disintegrate in two and a half years. Which is a lot, 200 years that that are standard plastic uses, right? Yeah. No, I have to say, I never heard of it. I I had no idea. It's interesting to see, see, now that you say this, in my mind, I'm thinking that there are probably more solutions of the possible solutions that I could personally envision as like a whatever person out there. One thing, for example, I've seen is in North European countries, I've seen this in Denmark, but I think probably in Sweden as well, in supermarkets at the entrance, they have little bins for plastic. And basically, if you put, it's, either probably, it's also probably for glass. Basically, you just put your bottles in 
and then you get a checkout, like a bill that then is basically a discount for the supermarket you're going to spend your money into. It's and I guess it's a spending machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I guess yeah. it's probably, yeah, like it's an interesting system because it adds up, it, it gives responsibility to the supermarket to enable that possibility to the consumers. But then I guess yeah. what they get out of it is that, that people actually go to the supermarket and they, they spend money yeah. there. And then there is also, now you're mentioning that, and that was, that is super interesting already. Now you're mentioning seaweed, plastic. It seems to see like something has been done or someone is doing things somewhere. But like, why, yeah. for example, why those solutions are not as popular as they could be? Because again, like why this kind of cycle of you go to the supermarket and you dispose your containers there. Why is this not happening everywhere? This is something that a lot of people, all the people that have been there and have seen this, they all yeah. wonder the same. Why is this not happening more in like everywhere? There is a complex web around it, Francesca, right? Let's start with what is the raw material for plastic, right? Mm -hmm. And that is petroleum, mm -hmm. right? So the oil companies really don't want plastic production to stop, right? And plastic is basically a green material. They really don't want this to stop. There is a good chance that if all packaging starts moving away from plastic, uh, the oil demand will also start coming down. Okay. Because plastics is a huge part of the oil demand today. When you think oil, immediately mm -hmm. what we envision is the cars and the buses and the planes. Transportation. Transportation and etc. What we don't realize is there are two parts of fossil fuel consumption which is hidden. One part is called petrochemicals, out of which mm. plastics come in, and there's a whole host of uh, whole host of petrochemicals like paints, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of that right. is is from fossil fuel, and the other side of it is industry. Okay. Industry, in order to manufacture anything, it needs heat, and that heat. Supplied by fossil fuel. Right. Right. So these two uses are always there. And plastics, it becomes a huge part of the fossil fuel consumption. And fossil fuel com companies don't want to wean away from that. Right. They don't mm -hmm. want you to wean away from that. That's reality. Right. But on the other hand, there is, I, I mentioned there is a complex web here. And for that, we need to look at. How do we handle packaging as a whole, right? So number mm -hmm. one, is there an alternate way in which we can package and it is cheap enough for you to do, right? If you use paper, if you use wood, etc., are you not destroying the same forest that you want to? Yeah. Yeah. You just don't wait for it to become fossil fuel, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't wait for it to become fossil fuel, you're already destroying it. That is one, one part of it. And then secondly, the other area that we're, that we're looking at is how much of that, okay, we produced plastic, a single-use plastic, I've used it, and I put it into the blue bin so that it can get recycled, right? Mm -hmm. In reality, how much of it can be recycled? Oh, okay. You're opening a whole new can of worms. I went around to my local council's recycling, uh, no, recycling center, right? And what I also did was I wanted them to show me numbers from across the various councils in London, right? Across the various borough councils in London, right? How much is recyclable? 
you won't believe me, less than a third of the plastic that comes into recycling centers are actually recyclable, mm-hmm. right? What they can do really well, they can do paper, they can do cardboard, metals, wood. Yeah, all of these, they are pretty good in, in recycling. They can recycle all of this stuff. But when it comes to plastic, only about a third of it is actually recyclable. And the reason for that is the way in which plastics are made. And one of the worst offenders in that is called PET. Right? These PET bottles that we use them almost like a PET. Right? And we use, use, use so many of them. Right? PET essentially isn't recyclable in any of the common recycling facilities out here in the UK. And okay. it is the same. And it is pretty much, I would say, the UK is pretty much at the same standard as various other large developed countries, right? So it is not recyclable. Only about a third of it is actually recyclable. So for us common people, okay, so when you say PET, you literally mean that little symbol that is in on every plastic bottle that says PET. Yeah, so that yeah. one, PET, yeah. yeah. So yes. every exactly. time we see that symbol... What we're looking at is a bottle of plastic that cannot be recycled. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Why are things made that way? Unfortunately, it is. If we are now going into a topic, which is a rabbit hole in itself, right? Yes. Cheap is the biggest problem. Plastic is cheaper than all the other packaging materials. Sure. That is the reason why companies use plastics to package a lot of their stuff. So if I had to compare plastic with various other materials, so let's say we've got a beverage which has to be served at maybe 4 degrees centigrade, straight from a refrigerator, maybe a a cool drink or whatever, right? So with that, if I have to get the ability to maintain the temperature, it shouldn't spill, it shouldn't leach into the beverage, et cetera, et cetera. If you compare the price of plastics versus everything else, plastic wins. Right. In the current scheme of things, plastic wins. And why does it win? Reason is the price of plastic does not take into account the environmental impact that it causes. Okay. So if I bought a bottle of water and that water is maybe 50p, right? Let's split up the cost of water to be 40p and the cost of the actual bottle itself to be 10p, for instance, right? So that 10p is the cost of producing that bottle plus the margins and whatever, right? It is not the cost of recycling that bottle or disintegrating it, etc. right? That is left to the society at large to handle, right? The manufacturer does not take that into account. We go back to the previous topic where we're talking about these business decision-making models, which does not take into account these factors. I was thinking of exactly that. (laughs) This is the fundamental problem, right? It is cheap. And that is the reason why companies use it, right? Now, if we give you an alternative as a manufacturer, as maybe, let's say, a beverage manufacturer, if I give you the option maybe to use aluminum bins or glass bottles 
instead of plastic, right? I will have to do that either through regulation or by increasing the price of plastics to a point where it is significantly higher than aluminium or glass. Right. Right. This is the way we can motivate them to change. Right. This is the reality. But on the other hand, what if we made the same plastic with some other raw material, seaweed that I mentioned? It could be seaweed, it could be the sugarcane fiber, right? Mm -hmm. The fiber that is there, after you extracted all the sugar from cane, right? It is basically like a string, right? And it can't be used for anything except for as a source of heat. They burn it and they get heat out of it, right? Other than that, you can't really use it for anything else. There are, you know, sugarcane fiber. Coconut fiber has also been used as a raw material for making packaging materials, particularly for storing uh, any beverages, both hot beverages as well as for the cold beverages. So the coconut fiber is unusable right now. You can use it to make floor mats and whatever, but how many floor mats does the world need? You don't need that many, and you can use it for other things like insulation, for instance. But in the case of single-use plastic, you can make it out of these alternative methods as well. Even if you use the alternative method, we still have the problem of being able to segregate it at source mm -hmm. and for it to be recycled. If we changed it and we had a, a plastic bottle that will disintegrate in two and a half years, and we know if it goes into the landfill, it will still disintegrate. But what about all the other chemicals that it's going to come into contact with? Mm -hmm. right? You want to avoid that situation. And right. you want this to go into a blue bin. So the council can collect it and take it. Okay, this is seaweed-based plastic. This is clearly seaweed-based, sugarcane fiber-based, natural fiber-based. And again, the raw material that you want to use should be something that does not compete with our food. Sure. Right. So you don't, there are experiments that were done. And in fact, there are, there are actual case studies of using oat, oatmeal, using rice water, right? The, the water that you get after boiling rice, using that to make packaging material. Right? Wow. You don't want things to compete with our food, right? Keep the food away, but use something that we don't use right now. It's waste product. But if I can take that and convert it into a plastic, I'm happy with that. That's, right? uh, I think that's, those are interesting points for really for most people, like even those who, again, like this is, it's not something that I feel like it's out there as much. Actually, it's interesting to have the conversation because we just basically rebuilt the pipeline, right? What is the plastic coming from and why it's coming from those sources? One answer to that from what you're saying is, because it's convenient to the right people to use plastic. This is what I get. Right? It's the oil industry that is involved into it. They probably uh, are taking advantage of the fact that they've been around for longer than anyone else. So on one hand, we have an industry that is profiting from it. And on the other hand, we have the non-action, probably, of some entity. I think on the side of the consumers, if you make it easy for the people to do that, if you make it convenient for them, it will, be, it will become a no-brainer. Let's take the narrative that is 
pretty common right now is that in the case of single-use plastic, including the governments and manufacturers, everybody is telling you it is you as the consumer who has to change. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But the reality is it's actually otherwise. So basically, the supplier is telling us that I'm producing this only because you are asking for it. Right. Only because you're asking for it. And if you changed your ways and means, instead of buying a water bottle at the station, if you carried your own water bottle and filled it up over there, you would be a lot better. But they Mm -hmm. know very well that you wouldn't be doing it unless you're forced to do that. And they are selling these water bottles right at the entrance of the station because they want you to buy it. Right? So what I would do is... I would twist that question and put it back at them, right? What are you doing as alternates, as an alternate mechanism to decarbonize the uh, single-use packaging industry, right? What are you doing in this area, right? Can you use a different raw material? Can you try packaging your stuff in? Can you try making other alternative packaging available to beverage manufacturers, etc. Can you make that available? If you did that, and then if you did five of these actions, and then there is a law prohibiting the use of single-use plastic, and then consumer behavior still does not change, I'm happy to pay a price on it, right? right? So anybody buying a bottle of drinking water at the station They'll not be paying 50p, but they'll be paying five pounds. Yep. Right? Impose it as a fine. Right? And that should be because the default option that is available is basically a vending machine or basically a water fountain that is available. You can bring your, your water bottle and fill it up over there. Or if you're buying any other beverages like coffee, tea, or if you're getting maybe, maybe a cold drink over there, Right, the option is for you to to be served this one in a paper cup, for instance. Or if you're buying slightly larger quantity, maybe a glass bottle that is provided to you, or maybe a cardboard sort of a box that I mentioned, which can actually take heat as well. Right, you give that kind of a box, and then this becomes the predominant default option. But if you still say after that. As a consumer, if you still say, no, I prefer the transparent plastic water bottle, fine, you pay for it. You pay five pounds for it, not 50p, right? That's the way I would look at it. Put those options in front of the, in front of the customer. Don't say that I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because I don't have the options. That's my logic. Right? Yeah, okay. So it's, this is, again, like a, another sort of fresh perspective on it because... It's like saying, don't point the finger at me because you have maybe the communication power to also do that. Because that's also a difference, right? If people are not saying it back to the companies, look, actually, you could do something about it. I guess it's probably because of two reasons. One, people wouldn't know exactly how things should be tackled. So even if they would want to fight it back, they wouldn't have the tools and the knowledge, which is very basic, by the way. It could be just... If people would absorb just as much as we are talking about here now, it it could ignite already a mechanism. If you are not exposed to it, if you don't see it, you don't know what a possible solution could be. 
I guess probably on the other hand, what probably that is probably the one of the biggest faults then that no one is actually talking about it. And then put this in the head of a few million people. I don't know what else could happen. Maybe someone would start doing something about it. I would estimate and estimate that a lot of the power actually sits in the hands of shareholders of these mm -hmm. companies, right? right? As a consumer, what you can do might be limited, right? You can still complain, but you complaining, even if they had, let's say, 1,000 complaints, they may disregard it, right? But if you held just one share in one of these packaging companies and you opted against the use the, the continued use of fossil fuel-based plastics, single-use plastics being made, and you want them to change that process, change their raw material, change that process, right? There is a good chance that things will start moving, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, when individuals start something like this, as a, it need not be activism in reality. It need not be activism. It could be the case of maybe dropping an email to the investor relations of this particular packaging company saying that I'm not happy with single-use plastics being used. What is your company trying to do with respect to replacing the raw material on this, changing your process with respect to this? What are you doing in this space? Ask that question can then lead to several other people also asking that question. Yeah. And this can then lead to what we call as a shareholder motion, shareholder proposal, or in the US, we call it as a proxy voting guidelines, mm -hmm. proxy voting guideline, right? So many shareholders say that, okay, fine, there are, there are these concerns. We are bringing in a proposal that we should probably think of changing this, right? We are not yeah. even saying change it today, right? Think of changing Come back to us as shareholders with an impact assessment. How much does it impact our return on, on, on equity, right? And institutional investors, again, coming back to our, our central topic here, institutional mm -hmm. investors have uh, a significant say in the packaging industry, right? right? Many of the largest packaging businesses actually have institutional investors on their shareholder register and some of them actually have voting rights. Some of them are on the board of the packaging companies as well, right? Can they engage with the corporate and change it? Absolutely. Who has the power? Institutional investors have the power. How can you motivate them? It could be individual shareholders asking questions, individual shareholders raising these concerns, as part of a shareholder proposal. And how could this start? Maybe by buying just one share of a packaging company's stock. And again, it doesn't need to be one large packaging company that everyone goes after. It could be your local packaging company in whichever country that you're listening to this podcast from, right? It could be a local company. And if it is basically publicly traded, you can buy just one share of that company in order to start this process. Wow. That's how I can look at it. Yeah. See, again, this is 
probably I haven't been investigating like investigating enough, but to me, and probably to most people out there, again, this is once again like a, a new angle, a new perspective on the issue, and probably people know that they can invest in companies or something, but I think most people don't really look at the possibility of basically have that little seat at that table. <laughs> so to say, this company is also mine. Let me think of what they do. Yeah. It feels it's almost an invite to participation, which is something that it's a mechanism that is obviously, it, it could be beneficial in so many ways if people would get more involved with the mechanisms that are piloting the society we live in then we would a be more become more informed but also be more effective in driving decisions which otherwise it seems like they're just left to basically an excel sheet and i guess also because there're probably and this is like a, an actually a point that i wanted to cover there there is probably interest in making sure that certain materials are probably produced somewhere in the world and then transported somewhere else because i guess there is also a trace that comes from the globalization that is around it. So one thing that I wonder is, do you think that in most places in the world, for example, a seaweed may, like seaweed packaging in general could be produced? Is it something, is that a material that we can find everywhere or it's something rare? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It can be farmed and it can be farmed in, even in the coldest of waters. Right? Oh, wow. Okay. And seaweed grows pretty rapidly, right? Mm-hmm. So seaweed is one excellent source. Sugarcane fiber is another excellent source. You have various other natural fibers which are unusable in the present day and can be made into packaging. And in fact, there are also cases where you may not like it, but there are packaging, there is packaging that is made out of animal dung as well. Oh, wow. Right. There is a certain company that makes paper from elephant tongue. <laughs> right. Wow. They make paper out of it. There is basically animal waste that can be taken and it has high fiber and it can be separated from any of the bacterial materials and it can still be used as packaging material as well. So elephant dung, et cetera, has been used to make paper, to make, say, pretty solid kind of packaging material that can be used to wrap up a certain item or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. single use again. And writing paper that's made out of uh, elephant dung has been available, I think, in Southeast Asia for quite some time, right? It doesn't smell, it doesn't feel bad or anything of that. Unless somebody actually came and told you that it's made out of this, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't recognize the difference, whether it is normal paper or it is this specific one, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, lots of other natural fibers that are available, which can be leveraged. Again, as I mentioned, you don't want to compete with the food that we use, right? If it is used for food, don't go and touch it, right? Touch other things which are there. Again... Even the seaweed that I mentioned, right? Seaweed is food for the fish as well, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to produce enough seaweed that you don't destroy the the fish population there, but to take the excess of it and use it to produce packaging, single-use packaging, Mm -hmm. right? 
and it can be farmed anywhere as well. So do you think that there is a, there are like obstacles for businesses, for example, for companies to pivot their, their production goal? Do you think there, is this a, a difficult process to put in place? Is this kind of hard to scale? H- how easy it could be for whoever is in this industry? And do you think it's something that is doable? How easy, how hard? On a scale of one to 10, difficulty is very low, right? Okay. <laughs> Difficulty is very low. Financing something like this to change the process, doable, right? Change the process, change the raw material, etc. doable. Can we bring in more circularity around it? Can we bring in the infrastructure that is needed for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things like this? Doable, right? Can we, irrespective of whether there is a law or there is a regulation around single-use plastic, can we still use such kind of material and avoid using fossil fuel to produce single-use plastic? Doable, right? What are the challenges? Mm-hmm. Right? Number one challenge I would say is the ability of ability to connect science with the corporate boards of these firms, right? A lot of science-based communication and a lot of the communication around climate change, around emissions, et cetera, is too complex to understand, right? What we are trying to do in this conversation and it goes on to the podcast is trying to simplify this to a mm-hmm. point where people can easily understand and they can say, okay, fine, I can do that and I can start with this. Yep. Simplifying this is fundamental, right? Secondly, Having spoken to a number of sustainability professionals around the world, right? They do not link many of these interventions, like changing raw material or anything, to the financials of the company, right? They largely see it as standalone projects. Okay. It could be an experiment, a standalone project, et cetera. A lot of them have a background in environment or they've come from social sciences, wherein the finance background is something that they will learn being a part of the corporate for several years. So in the next couple of decades, it needs disruption, right? And that disruption can only come in by not from inside, it probably has to come from outside, right? So whether it is a packaging company or it is a beverage manufacturer, right? Somebody's got to disrupt it, Mm -hmm. right? And when that disruption happens, that is when the incumbent will start saying that, oh, there is another one and these guys are doing way better. An example of that is Tesla being the largest car manufacturer today. If you told me this 10 years ago, I would say the big three, there is GM, there is, we've got got Mercedes, we've got BMW, et cetera. These are huge. There's a provider like Tesla, a small firm making a few models. I think they they only had one model 10 years ago. They just had one model of an electric car, right? That is called disruption, 
right? Yeah. Today, they are the largest car manufacturer. I think the packaging industry is also right for something like that. Unless they change, and that change happens from inside, it is right for disruption. Mm-hmm. And, and if there is a possibility of disruption, and that possibility of disruption will probably be more in the single-use plastic area. Because many of the Gen Zs that, that I talk to, they are very conscious of this, right? The folks that go out of uni and or they are actually starting up a business right there in uni and they want to scale it as soon as they come out, right? These folks are very conscious about my carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. What happens if I throw this into the dustbin? Do I really need? They are actually, a lot of them are actually rethinking. We probably, for us, it is like intuitive. Just go and pick up that bottle of uh, Fanta, Pepsi, or Coke, whatever, bring it home, right? They are actually thinking, do I actually need this big bottle, single-use plastic? Do I really need that? Or can I, do I really need this fizzy drink? Or can I just buy one of those tetra packs with juice or crush or whatever, right? Can I probably, or maybe squash. Maybe mm-hmm. can I buy squash and basically dilute it with, with water at home? I wouldn't think of those choices. For me, convenience would be, ah, take this, yeah. put it in the trolley and get back home, right? A lot of them are thinking. So disruption there is quite possible. Mm-hmm. And probably that disruption can come from younger professionals. And if you look at many of the networks that are in the plastics area, right? Many of the action networks that work on, on plastics, et cetera, right? A lot of them are uh, young people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Whether you call them activist or you call them entrepreneur or you call them a disruptor, or they could be, in fact, working with their own employer to try and change things. These are the folks that are likely to do that. Secondly, I would also say that the leadership level sustainability curriculum that has come up in some of the large educational institutions here, as well as across the board. I would say most of the typical B-school curriculum never talked about carbon. Never talked about carbon. It never talked about even if they talked about sustainability, it was one chapter in one unit. That's it. Today, sustainability is actually a B-school topic. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you start seeing that and they come into the workforce, they are not going to be happy with saying, oh, should I work for a fossil fuel-based plastic yeah. manufacturer? Yeah. They're yeah. going to think about that. Right. So if you're a plastic manufacturer and you're listening to this podcast, it's time to change. Right. Mm. Otherwise, attracting talent is going to be very difficult. Servicing customers is going to be very difficult. The regulatory environment everywhere is is actually getting tighter and tighter. And on top of it, there are alternates that are available. Why are you not doing it? That's the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, this is once again a very fresh perspective on the topic. What I hear now is that 
It's an interesting comparison to do with the car manufacturers, some, which no one has probably seen that coming until some visionaires said, actually, we can do this in this way as well. Here, to me, it feels like there are actually really the signals of an opportunity yeah. for something that could be very big very soon as well. The moment someone would stand up and talk about it and it could probably be a matter of someone that is a bit more present on Twitter or social media, just like <laughs> Elon Musk has done. Those entrepreneurs always have a, a remarkable personality that comes with them. And this is what helps them along the way sometimes. But it feels like there are already the elements, the signals. You say you said something important about Gen Z. It's surely a generation that has been brought up with all those messages about climate change and uh, they are in the head of, uh, of this new generation. So it feels there will be almost maybe a need in the future because consumers will be just right. different people right. to start with. Absolutely. And we have the knowledge. And I was like trying to tackle the thing in the issue in all the ways possible to say when I was saying like, maybe is it because of the materials are not available, but they are available. <laughs> yeah. And we have the processes to produce them and it's, they're not uh, more expensive than extracting and working on petrol. So it feels like everything is there. It's just a matter of basically putting the pieces of the puzzle together and get right. the machine up and running. Up and running, yeah. And then yeah. having yeah. someone that also talks about it <laughs> so, that, yeah. so that the world knows that this is happening, that there is a, a possible revolution that could happen really soon. What would you say to any entrepreneur in the industry that is out there if you would have to leave a message for them in terms of look, this is convenient, this is what could be done. What could happen? Yeah, yeah. If you're not in climate tech, you're not in the game, right? That's the message that I would give because the opportunity there, talking packaging, talking decarbonization, talking about net zero, talking about accounting, it's a whole new world that is being built. Right. And if you're not there, you're not in the game at all. Right. So if you're an entrepreneur, do explore climate tech and pick and choose your niche within climate tech. There is lots to do. And we need a lot more hands. We need a lot more brains to come in, think solutions, take solutions that are working and make it scalable. Right. Yeah, welcome to the club. There is lots more to do and we need millions more people experimenting. Yes. Including the packaging yes. industry to get into climate and tech. Yes. yes. If every, if at the moment, I would say climate tech touches every real world industry sector combination and it touches the financial sectors deeply as well. Right. Insurance, it touches investing, it touches banking, etc. Right. Entire spectrum is being disrupted, not from inside, but by entrepreneurs who are trying this out as climate tech and selling to these companies. And some of them are actually being bought out by these traditional firms, actually buying out the, say, the climate tech company so that they can integrate and make it their main business. The opportunity is massive. The, the scale at which things are moving and the pace at which things are moving is massive. 
the emissions that needs to be reduced is huge. We are talking, at least in today's carbon price, right? we are talking around 300 trillion worth of emissions that has to be reduced. Mm-hmm. And you reduce 300 trillion worth of emissions, 300 trillion worth of emissions, which has actually gone out into the atmosphere, also has to be captured. Part of it is taken by various nature-based solutions, but a lot of it is out there as well. So there is a huge market that is available. Institutional investors, particularly putting in anywhere between one to three trillion a year into this sector, right? Mm -hmm. That's the extent of investment that is going in. That's the scale of the problem. And... That is the extent of governmental support that is also available, right? With 27 countries already have net zero into law and few more that are in the pipeline. And if you're listening to this in the States, many of these states also have environmental laws that are getting tightened up. California recently passed passed another environmental law. There is a lot more work that is going on in the US was actually lagging behind the rest of the world under President Trump. But now with the the recent administration and with the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, the US is leapfrogging everybody else in this space, right? So there is investment, there is grants that are being made available, there are tax tax rebates that are available to entrepreneurs. What are you waiting for, right? If If you have a bright idea, get on board. Jump in, try this out. We need thousand more or maybe million more solutions as well. Absolutely. That's super interesting. I would just uh, ask you like one last question. Yeah, again, like we, it seems like it, it's doable. It's doable to reduce single-use plastic. It's potentially convenient for both the environment and whoever may get may be involved in the pipeline. There is movement that is happening already. Like some people are waking up to this and some people are already out there trying to grab the opportunity before it gets too big to jump on. What can Helix to facilitate entrepreneurs who may have the intention of pivoting their businesses? Sure, sure. Helix works with institutional investors primarily, Mm -hmm. right? We work with them on decarbonizing their highly carbon intensive portfolio, right? So packaging is definitely one of those sectors that we focus on. So if you have a solution in this space, get in touch with us. We would be happy to set up time through this. And if you are at a scale where you can be onboarded onto the Helix network, we're happy to onboard you and we're happy to take you along to our customers, right? And these could be large packaging companies that are owned by these institutional investors that we work with. And we have it open that door, have that conversation. And it could be a main situation for both of us, right? What you as, as the entrepreneur and for Phoenix as a network, right? In in both cases, yeah, it's likely to be a main situation. That's brilliant. So Changing packaging, bringing in more sustainable packaging, bringing in circularity into this, 
that makes a lot of difference to several industries. And once these options are available, it's going to become bigger and bigger. There's no stopping this. Absolutely. Clear as water, clean water. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Somi. Thank you very much Thank for you. this. Thank you. Just go.